Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Scripture for this morning comes from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Um, by the way, I'm Bryant. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Brooklyn. Um, Russell is in the West Coast for the next two Sundays, um, so you are stuck with me. Um, but we are continuing our series on John, and this, this theme of groundswell, of really... Um, what is God speaking to our community about? Um, what is God speaking to me about? And last week, Russell um, t- touched on the message of the blind man that was healed on the day of the Sabbath. And as he was healed, there's miraculous celebration, but yet when he approached some of these religious leaders, they're like, wait, 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 you were healed on the day of the Sabbath? That's not okay. And clearly there's this spiritual blindness that occurs um, oftentimes when we're so focused on the act of getting church right. And John 10 is Jesus kind of leading and segueing that event into this conversation and this illustration of what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. Um, And so we're going to be touching upon that. But if you don't mind, can we just take a moment and just pray right now? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for this community and just gathering us all here. Um, Maybe some of us had a difficult morning getting here. Um, There may be some people that couldn't make it here through whatever various reasons. Uh, But Father, I pray that you may really just um, be present with us today, that you may speak to our hearts um, and just reveal more of your beauty and grace to us. Help us to see you, help us to know you, um, and help us to know um, why we mean so much to you. So we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, now Jesus is transitioning into this illustration of being the good shepherd. And uh, Trey beautifully read that scripture for us. I think he has one of the best reading voices. I can just go listen to him on recording. Um, but he shared this passage in John 10, and I'm not going to reread the whole thing, but I just want to pull out some segments from it. And today I, I titled my sermon, The Life with the Shepherd. Um, because obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, I don't know. Um, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know last time I seen a sheep in real life. Um, so... A lot of the significance here 
I'm speaking from things that I've read, <laughs> right? Uh, because a lot of times when we, we read this passage in John 10 um, of Jesus being the good shepherd, it doesn't really connect and resonate with us. And we could try our best to imagine what it was like. And a lot of times um, when preachers preach a sermon, or even when I preached it in the past, I would do a lengthy exp- explanation on why sheep are very dumb and adequate animals, right? But um, for some reason, this time around, I got a chance to kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, I don't know why. I just went down this rabbit hole, right, of like what it means to be a shepherd in today's time and, you know, what it took. And I realized that sheep are actually quite beautiful animals. As oblivious as they may be and as they they might not be the most self-sufficient animals, which is hence need a shepherd, but apparently they can recognize the shepherd's voice. They know who their shepherd is. And they actually, a shepherd can name a sheep and they will answer to their name and respond to their name. And so if a stranger, if a, it, usually what happens is if a hired hand comes in, a new hired hand, and tries to lead the sheep, apparently there's a struggle that happens because they're like, you're not my shepherd. So it takes a while for them to get accustomed to the hired hand's voice. But there's a unique, beautiful relationship that happens of a shepherd and a sheep. And in chapter 10, in verse um, 4, there's this one part where it shows the recognition of the relationship. And Jesus says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So this isn't your typical stranger danger kind of kind of like layout, right? Jesus is recognizing that, hey, my sheep, they know me. They know when I call. They know when I teach. They know my heart. They know what I'm trying to explain. And the ironic thing is, immediately following this, Jesus uses figure of speech, right? And he says, the strangers don't know his voice. And right at that moment, he says, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, did not understand what was going on in chapter 9 with the blind man being healed. And as Jesus explains it, he says, you know, strangers, they won't know my voice. They won't understand my teaching. And immediately the Pharisees are like, I don't understand your teaching. Right? This is kind of like funny, you know, they're supposed to be highly educated people. Right? The religious ones in the, in the culture, but they just don't know Jesus' voice. And then it continues on, um, and just, I'm going to touch upon verse 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And as a shepherd, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I kind of want to touch upon this passage. Um, what does it mean to have a full life? What do we need for us to come to a place to say, I have an abundant life? Right? And I, I, I guarantee many of us are formulating things in our heads. Okay, if I have this kind of home, if I have this kind of lifestyle, if I just had one extra bedroom in my house, right? If I could just have places of silence, if my bank account <laughs> would not be in the red, <laughs> right? I would have an abundant life. If I can have a family, I'll have an abundant life. And it's not that any of these desires are evil desires. 
They're not. But when they become the key recipe that we strive for and that we'll sacrifice anything for to have an abundant life, to have a full life, it leads us to destruction. It leads to a lot of pain and heartbreak. And here it's interesting because when we think abundant life, a lot of times we kind of, maybe when we tie an abundant life of Christianity, we kind of get a little bit worried, right? Because there is, a, there is a kind of a message that goes out that says, if you believe in Jesus, he'll correct everything in your life, right? You'll never experience pain. You'll never experience suffering. He'll heal all your circumstances, right? He'll fix every problem, right? He'll get the, your kids into the right school, right? Like there's all these things that will happen if we just follow Jesus, but then I go back to the Bible and I read most, the majority of the people that are spoken about in the Bible, their life did not look like that. If anything, the moment he started following Jesus, it, immediately following after that was deep suffering. It was brokenness, it was persecution. And so I'm like, that can't be it, right? Because if I'm one of the disciples, after Jesus dies and he leaves, right, I'm like, okay, where is my abundant life? right? Why am I being chased out of cities? Why do people want to kill me? You said, if I preach your word and follow you, I'll have abundant life. If I, even right here it says, Jesus, if you are my shepherd, if I call you my shepherd, it says, I'll have life in the full. But how come it doesn't always equate that way? And my challenge today is because I think our picture of an abundant life is not the abundant life that Jesus pictured for us. And so there's a, there's a fable, um, and Tracy, if you could put that up. So I'm going to rely on you because um, this morning my iPad decided not to work. And also my phone just decided, hey, I'm not going to upload your message. Um, so there's a fable, um, and it's a very simple fable, right? And it says, a shepherd and a butcher were walking along the road together. They saw a plump little lamb who had wandered away from the flock and had been left behind by his fellow sheep. The shepherd and the butcher both rushed to grab the lamb. This was back in the days when animals spoke the same language as people. So the lamb asked the two men why they wanted to grab him and carry him off. After the lamb found what they both did, he turned and offered himself to the shepherd. You're nothing but an executioner of sheep, he said to the butcher, and your hands are stained with the blood of the flock. This man, on the other hand, rejoices if we thrive and prosper. This is not a Christian tale. And it seems so simple. Right? When we read that, we're kind of like, duh. <laughs> right? Who would ever say, I'm going to go with the butcher? <laughs> right? It just doesn't make any sense. But I love that last line. It's, it's not because the lamb said, hey, it's because the shepherd's nice. or the shep It's just because this shepherd has my interest in mind. It has, light, it has intentions of life for me. And I think our conflicting moment is, how do we see Jesus? Do we see him as the butcher or do we see him as a shepherd? Because a lot of times in my personal journey, I probably have seen Jesus as the butcher. You just want to take things from me, right? I've become a Christian, so now you want my money, right? I've become a Christian, so now you want my time, right? Jesus, I've become a Christian, now you want me to get rid of all these things in my life to be like you. We see him as the butcher. We see that he wants to take a hold of us because he wants to shape us into somebody that we're not. And someone that we kind of like maybe despise. We see Jesus as the butcher because we feel like, what more do you want from me? Right? You want me to be on time on Sunday? <laughs> right? I'm here, aren't I? You want how much of my energy? You want me to forgive who? 
You want me to be generous to who? You want me to be patient with him, her? See, we, we, we shape Jesus as the butcher. But in the moments when we can see him as the shepherd, we realize one thing. He deeply loves us. And he envisions life for us. And in John chapter 10, there's this first contrast between a thief and who Jesus is. This is the thief will come and destroy, kill, and steal. And there are so many thieves in our lives. There's so many thieves that say, hey, if you follow me, or if I can call the butcher, say, hey, if you follow me, I can promise you abundant life. Right? And for, I don't know if you've ever experienced being scammed. It is the, mo- it is the worst thing in the world. Right? And I think I've been so traumatized by being scammed. Like, I, don't, I just don't trust anything anymore. I'm one of the most cynical people you'll ever meet. <laughs> right? If I, get a number, if I get a phone call from somebody that is not in my phone book, right, I'm ready to be in the attack mode. Right? What do you want? Who is this? Right? And it actually ends up being someone from our community. It's like, oh, hey, I just got a new phone. I was like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Right? Like, I'm just very cynical about everything. Right? Like, like, you could offer me the best promotion that it's true, it's real, it's authentic, and I probably still won't take it. Right? And so m- many times we kind of come into this mentality that where Jesus is that individual. That he's a con artist. He's offering something to us that he can't fulfill and and promise. But yet, how many times do we fall into the traps of someone saying, this will lead to life? If you just find the right significant other, it will lead to life. Sometimes true, sometimes not. If you get to a certain level of capital and your finances are comfortable, it will lead to life. If you could just find your dream career, it will lead to life. If you overcome this fear, it will lead to life. And we receive these promises. But here's the thing. When the butcher or the thief offers these promises, as good as it may be, there's a selfish intent behind it. Because the butcher has their interest in mind. Follow me because I have something to gain from you. And honestly, for me, there's nothing worse than being scammed and being used. Like, I think I have genuine trauma from that, right? And like, that's why I I always have to be right. I have to know everything, because you will not fool me again. And when we look at the things that, that come our way, so many times we encounter the butcher, we encounter the thief. And we miss Jesus saying, hey, but if you follow me, there's abundant life. And it's hard to believe that. Because maybe some of us have past histories saying, well, Jesus, you didn't show up at that moment when I needed you. I asked you to be true. I asked you to prove yourself, and you were gone. Maybe there are moments in our life where we trusted somebody and they just didn't keep up to their word. Maybe we trusted a parent that their role, that your role is to love, protect, and care for me. And maybe as a child, that's not the picture of a parent that we had. 
So we come into this place where Jesus says, I have life to the full. But whether you can believe it or not, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it, but whether you believe it or not, Jesus doesn't ask, come follow me, because he has something to gain. If anything, it's the complete opposite. Because in the following verses, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As a thief says, come follow me because I have something to gain. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll give up everything so you have everything to gain. See, Jesus is not just a good shepherd, not just a shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's not just an overqualified shepherd. shepherd. And when we read the word good, you know, a lot of times for us, good is subpar. I don't know how your experience was when you got report cards when you were a kid. Um, there was good and there was excellent, right? If I came home with good, I'm out, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll, have, I'll freak out if I had a G, <laughs> right? And this is weird, like not satisfactory, satisfactory, good, excellent. So like it was, you know, when we look at good, it's just kind of just subpar. Like, is that pizza place good? It's good, right? Like, you want to hear excellent, right? You want to hear it's amazing. It's the most phenomenal thing in the world. So when we read this, Good Shepherd, I guess he was aight, right? He did his job. He's qualified, right? He didn't complain that much. <laughs> but this word good, we, we lose the significance of it. It's not just good. It's, it's excellent. There's beauty on how good he is as the shepherd. And as there's a contrast between the thief and the shepherd, now there's going to be another contrast. It says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And originally, when I used to read this text, I was like, man, that's a bad hire, right? Like, do your job. <laughs> but then I began to realize if I put myself in a situation, if I just worked at a simple, like, retail job, and for some reason, horrifically, it gets robbed. Right? If I'm working at the Apple store and someone asks me for all the products on the table, I'm going to take it. <laughs> right? I'm just a hired hand. <laughs> I, I'm not losing money. There's no, like, you know, loss commission in this. Take it, right? I'm protecting myself. So no matter how good a hired hand is, is, at the end of the day, they aren't committed to their flock. They will not lay down their life. Can you imagine someone laid down their life to protect the store and it's not their store? It's heroic. But as a cynical person, I'm going to be like, that's very foolish, Right? And in, in, tra in transparency and honesty, um, Hope Brooklyn's been around for about three years, and there are many in this room who you've been part of this community far longer than I have. You've seen it from its genesis, from the beginning. And I came in last year um, as a residential pastor. I was a hired hand. And, and to be honest, when I came in as a hired hand, I was like, I don't need to be fully committed to these people, <laughs> right? Because there's this emotional bandwidth. There's emotional involvement. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just get to know everyone, right? And get a feel out on who kind of connects with me. But then lately, God's been really pressing my heart. 
says, I haven't called you here just as a job, as a profession. You're not just a hired hand. But the call to ministry, it goes beyond that. And yes, I know I could never be the good shepherd. But I've been praying and asking God, what does it look like for me to not be a hired hand that flees when trouble comes? That I don't need to say, hey, uh, get yourself together. (laughs) Handle this, and then we can hang out. But to be in the midst of brokenness, pain, and suffering, and trials, what does that look like? And if you really want to see a picture of the Good Shepherd, it comes from a psalm, um, and it's, it's a pretty popular psalm. You might have seen it quoted in places. in Psalm 23, and it's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is as the shepherd. It says this, and this is King David in the Old Testament talking of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I just want to pause there for a second. Have we ever said that? Not, not the Lord is my shepherd part, but I lack nothing. Right? I don't remember the last time I said that. I have a long list of needs. I'm a very needy person, materialistically, (laughs) emotionally, spiritually. I can't recall a moment where I woke up and I said, I lack nothing. Most often I wake up in the mornings, I have so many things I need to get done. There are so many worries, so many anxieties. But see, that statement can only be true when David says the first part, the Lord is my shepherd. And the ironic thing is, David's profession before being king, he was a shepherd. So he knows. I may not know, but he knows what it means to be a shepherd. And verse 2 continues to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And I know for some of us, we have no idea what that looks like. I don't know the last time I found quiet waters, Right? I don't know the last time I found green pastures, aside from the patch of grass we might see in front of our home. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I love this verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, how? Like, that's, like, verse 5 for me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That is just sweet justice, right? That we're just feasting (laughs) in front of our enemies. There's no anger, There's no fear. There's no threat. Can you imagine a sheep grazing on the grass while a wolf is standing in front of it? And it's like, I will not fear. See, when Jesus talks about the abundant life so that we can live it to the full, I don't think he's envisioning just materialistic things or physical health. 
Not saying that he ignores healing and provisions, right? Like, don't feel like we can't come to him with physical needs, as Darren mentioned, a sweet burrito. He hears those. He will answer them. He will hear our call for our health, restoration, and relationships. But I believe that the abundant life he envisions is that we lack nothing. Not because we have everything at our disposal, but it's because we don't need any of that. I think when a good shepherd comes into our life and we know the voice of the shepherd and we're willing to follow that voice, he walks us through green pastures and quiet waters. And even in the darkest of valleys, in the pit of our brokenness, We will not fear. We're comforted in those moments. And there might be some of us here today, I don't know, maybe we just perpetually feel like we're in that valley, right? Like green pastures and quiet waters, I can't imagine that, but dark valleys, right? The alleyways of New York City, like we can clearly see it. These dark valleys of just fear and worry. Can I find a job? Can I meet my month-to-month rent? Can I have food to eat? Maybe for some of us, we're just dealing with so much anxiety and stress that we just feel like we're going to fold any minute. Maybe some of us are just dealing with just tremendous amounts of, amount of loneliness that we, we feel just abandoned and lost and confused. Maybe for some of us, we, we've been sitting here wondering about our health, Right? Like, God, why can't I start a family? God, when will you remove the sickness? Maybe for some of us, we're just in this deep cycle of addiction. We're in those valleys. But see, a thief will never come down to help us. A thief will delight that we're in the valleys. A hired hand They might think about it, will not jump down. And I believe even a shepherd, at the end of the day, you're an animal. (laughs) But a good shepherd, he walks ahead of those valleys. See, a shepherd leads the flock. The shepherd's never in the back of the flock. A true shepherd is in the front, in front of the danger leading head first. And Jesus is that good shepherd for us. He's not just up on high in the mountaintops looking down in the valleys, hoping that we'll make it through and then join us for the celebration in the end. He's in that valley with us. He sits in our brokenness. He sits with us in our pain. He sits with us in our suffering. He sits with us in our confusion. And even moments when we're despising him, he sits with us because he will not abandon us. You are not forgotten. You are not abandoned. You are not despised. He is the good shepherd, and he lays his life down for his sheep. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know too many people that would do that. 
I don't know too many people that will look at our brokenness and say, I'll be with you there. And if you have those people in your life, man, that is a gift. Cherish them. Go text them afterwards because you have no service here. <laughs> Let them know you love them and you thank them. But know that today, right now, that Jesus affirms you. He sees us in our pain. He sees us in the midst of our, the, the abuse that we might be receiving. And he says, I'll, I'll be present with you every step of the way. See, the good shepherd doesn't ignore us. And the good shepherd has intimacy. In verse 14, it's, Jesus states again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, this is, I don't know if this can ever be profound to you and I'm, it's, I don't think it's fully profound to me yet, but just as the Father knows his son, Jesus, and I know the, knows me and I know the Father, he says that's how well he knows us. There's intimacy. See, when Jesus came to earth, he wasn't just trying to make a bold statement or start a revolution. Yes, it was to fulfill the promises that he made because he is faithful. But it was also to say, I am present with you and I need you to know that I know you and I see you. And today, I encourage us to take a step forward and instead of seeing Jesus as the butcher, just take a moment to just let go, right? Let go of maybe some of our past experiences and our past hurts or maybe what we've heard and seen about this Jesus. And just take a step forward and say, you know what? I want to see you as a shepherd because you really do care for me. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Um, and there's an old, old church song. Um, and I don't, I, don't, I don't remember the full song. Um, but the, pretty much the song, I'm not going to sing it. You trust me, you don't want me to sing it. Um, it won't happen. Um, that's why we have our wonderful team for this. But it's, it just simply says, I cast all my cares upon you. And anytime, anywhere, and I don't know what to do. I cast all my cares upon you. And I don't know if we're at a place where we can trust Jesus to carry our burdens. But why not take that bold step forward? Instead of holding on to all this brokenness and all this dark moments and these dark valley experiences on our own to say, Jesus, I want to take a step of faith and trust you as my shepherd. And at, and, and any point as a, as a pastor who speaks on the word, I think the most challenging part for me is making promises on the behalf of Jesus. Because I'm like, I could say something, and next week y'all coming back, but like, I tried it, it didn't work. All right, where was he? <laughs> you promised. <laughs> but for me, I realized it's just taking a lot of humility. Because as I was preparing this message, um, I think Jesus had other plans even up until this morning. <laughs> I was like, God, I have an agenda, right? I did my study, like I'm, I'm ready to speak on this. 
I think there was a point where Jesus was like, I still don't think you get it, <laughs> right? That's the only, I mean, I, I can't explain all the mishaps that happened this morning leading up to now. And, even, and every time, like I had like, like a month and a half, two months to prepare this, every time I felt like I landed on something I felt comfortable with, the next day, Jesus like, what does it mean for me to be your good shepherd? I was like, I don't know, <laughs> right? I'm like, and I'm like, God, how can I speak about this? And then God recalled a moment for me in my life. And I'm like, I'm, I'm striving to go back to that kind of place in my life right now with God. I remember when I was in college, my freshman year, um, I dealt with such deep loneliness. I think for an entire semester, I ate by myself. Um, I really had no friends, no community. Um, and mind you, I was at a Bible college too. It was the weirdest thing, right? Um, I'll go into the cafeteria. And there were days where I didn't even go to the dining hall because I was too embarrassed to eat by myself. Now, I have those moments where you act like you're on the phone, but there's nothing happening, right? You're just like, I just want to look like I'm busy and important and eat. And I remember just walking around campus and saying, God, just get me out of here. I want to go back home. I want to go back to New York. I was in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, right? I was like, God, I just want to go back home to something familiar, right? This isn't for me. And I remember just sitting in my dorm room, and I don't really cry. I'm not the emotional type. I like to really think through things logically and then come to a point like, okay, it's okay to cry now. But normally, it's, it doesn't burst out. Like, I just start tearing up, right? And I remember just laying in my bed. Mind you, I had, I was broke. I had no bed sheet, right? I didn't have a pillow. I just had the mattress that the school gave me, right? I remember just laying there and just crying, like hysterically. Hysterically, I was just weeping. I was like, guys, want to go home. And I just, I just remember, and I can't explain it, you know, if people are like, I want you to just make it reasonable, make it realistic. I'm like, I can't. And this is the moment where the faith journey comes in. Because for me, I remember laying in that bed crying, and then just this wave of peace. Just do not fear, for I am with you. I can't tell you how the voice of God sounds like. You know, everyone jokes around, it sounds like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> All right? I don't know, but I just remember laying in that bed, just weeping hysterically, and I just felt like I was in those green pastures. I felt the quiet waters, and I felt this deep comfort that I could, till this day, I could never recreate, I could never explain, but it gave me this assurance that I'm safe, that I'm loved, because the thieves will come in and tell you that you're not qualified. The butchers will come in and tell you that you're not worthy, that you're not loved, you're not valued. But the good shepherd steps in, and as he lays down his life, he says, you may feel like just a sheep, but I'll give my life for you. For me, that was enough for me to jump into faith. To say there, there will be moments in my life that I cannot explain to people and people will think I'm foolish. And people will think that I'm a dumb sheep. 
that I may just follow blindly, but I'm not following blindly. I've encountered, I've seen, and I've been comforted by the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit is available for us here today. And so if we could just take a moment, um, just maybe reflect, to pray, as you feel comfortable just in your seats. And just ask God, be real to me today. I want to experience being led. I want to experience what it feels like to have a good shepherd in my life. Maybe we've experienced terrible shepherds. Maybe we've experienced shepherds that were just too harsh, too rough. But today, let's ask Jesus to be the good shepherd and to experience that comfort in that valley and to affirm the things in our life that we are loved, we are valued, and his grace is given to us, not just because we're living good moral lives, but because he laid down his life to make it available for all of us. Just take a moment to reflect before team leads us in the song. Hey, Hope Brooklyn. Darren here, your fellow Hope Brooklynite. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're part of the community, you're aware that we've been exploring the topic of generosity and stewardship. Each week, we offer a thought to reflect on as we prepare to enter 2020, relying completely on your generosity. So have a listen to what we discussed this last Sunday, and we'll see you around the table soon. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? All right. If you've been part of the Hope community, then you know we are entering into a season of dialogue about generosity um, and what it looks like here. First, a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Darren. I've been a part of Hope for about a year now. I grew up in Westchester County. Uh, I went to school, uh, college in North Carolina. Uh, was a liberal arts major, and after I graduated, I really needed a job, and I um, convinced someone to hire me as a software engineer. And I almost died in front of that computer, in front of the blue screen of death. I was such a bad programmer. Uh, but it taught me enough to actually learn how to sell technology. And uh, years later, I started a company. Um, we do financial technology. We have some of the largest financial institutions in the world as our clients, and we have about 45 employees between New York, London, and Singapore. And that's my marketing story. That's the story I tell in a conference room in front of investor types um, who want to find out more. And, um, you know, it's the typical, you know, corporate story where you want to do a little bit of subtle bragging sprinkled with a little bit of self-deprecating humor to make it all sound really real, right? And um, if I really think about it, and I'm really honest, um, you know, stories are never that, that way. Uh, in the beginning of my company, uh, we were a mess. My two co-founders and I were a mess. We argued all the time. We couldn't make decisions. Um, we couldn't get anything done. We had signed up two big names, huge names, uh, who were eager for our first product. And at first, we're three months late. Then we were six months late. And where's the product? Where's the... Then we're nine months late. Then we're 12 months late with the product. After 15 months, we finally delivered the first product. Um, and all this time, we're burning tons of cash. We're burning between $150,000 and $220,000 a month in cash. Uh, 
I wasn't taking a salary. And in order to make things happen, I, I was actually taking a lot of credit card debt. I was racking up between my personal expenses and also um, business expenses because, you know, who am I going to expense it to? I'm going to expense it back to myself, right? So I was basically doing 2000 a month in debt on my credit card. And I was on my knees praying, uh, begging God for relief because there was, there was really no end in sight to this. And as I was praying, I started praying for basic necessities. Uh, things like as mundane as food, because, you know, a few days of free food actually saves a couple hundred bucks. And a couple days later, I actually went to a church volunteer event where um, uh, they were training us for something, and they provided lunch. And afterwards, the coordinator held up a bag, and she said, hey, um, a lot of people didn't show up. We have six burritos in here. Does anyone want it? And I froze. And I waited to see if anyone else would take it. And no one responded. And as she's about to put the bag down, I made myself go up there. I made myself go up there and I said, uh, I'll, I'll take it, thank you, thank you very much. And I walked away. And she smiled and I was like, I was thinking to myself, does she know? Does she know like what I'm going through and does she know how much I appreciate this? Some of us right now are experiencing seasons of ease, right, where everything seems to be going right. Um, and I know when I'm in those seasons, it's really easy for me to think and look around and say, hey, look, this is great. You know, I built this. I bought this. You know, we created this. But if I'm really honest and I peel back the marketing story, when, we pivot, when I pivoted the company to a different product, an idea started that pivot, right? Where did I get that idea? You know, there's the marketing story, I looked at the data, I looked at the market, blah, blah, and then things just took off. But there's the real story, which is I got the idea, but I can't tell you where I got the idea. The idea just kept on coming back to me. And I can't tell you why it worked the second time, right? Because the marketing story is the market changed. Basically, the timing was right. Timing. Ever hear that for an explanation? Well, who created the right timing? And I have to remind myself um, that, you know, there's something greater. It wasn't just me. I put, in, I put in the effort, but it wasn't just me. And if you're going through a tough season right now, and it's hard, right, um, my heart goes out to you because I, I know how hard it is. It feels like emotionally, relationally, financially, everything is just caving in, right? And you can't escape. And I guess the only thing I can do to encourage you is to say, you know, when I, when I bit into that burrito that day, um, some anonymous person somewhere had built the perfect burrito that I like with just enough meat and just enough vegetables, uh, just enough hot sauce and a touch of sour cream, not too much. And as I bit into that burrito, I felt God saying, son, I got you into this and I will get you out. But right now, the only thing you can do is follow me and most importantly, I want you to enjoy this burrito. So as you contemplate generosity at Hope and what it means in your life, uh, consider giving a recurring gift to this place if you consider it your spiritual home. And uh, thank you. Thank you for contemplating this topic of generosity. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, 
Check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>